You're listening to episode three of Perusia World Spotlight with Matthew Herman Taig on the Perusia Podcast Network in partnership with EWTN Asia Pacific. Hello, and thanks for joining us. In the spotlight today is Dr. Robert Haddad, who joined me for a guest expert interview for Perusia study groups in Perusia World. To be part of the live online audience during these recordings, and to interact in the live member-only Q&A session that follows, join us in Perusia World by visiting perusiamedia.com and clicking on Perusia World for all the information you'll need to join. Dr. Robert Haddad, welcome back to Perusia World. How are you? Oh, very good, Matthew. Thanks for having me again. Oh, no, thank you very much for getting in contact. Uh, we've Many of our Bible studies, our online Bible studies, have been doing the book of Revelation. There was a group that did it last year. Uh, I'm doing Revelation with the Maronites at Croydon right now on Wednesday evenings. And then next term, there's a Tuesday morning session uh, that's available for the U.S., uh, and um, so there's lots and lots of groups doing Revelation. A lot of people interested in Revelation, particularly at, these, at, at this particular time. So it was providential when you called and said that a lot of people have been asking you about, uh, especially about COVID vaccines and the mark of the beast. Has this been coming up a lot? Oh, enough. And uh, from adults and students. So I would probably have had three or four questions to this effect and the latest was just this afternoon i did a zoom q a with a group of students in a catholic congregational school and this question specifically came up whether the um the COVID vaccines and in, in any of their forms amount to the mark of the beast and so i think we need to address it here to our local audience it's been addressed by others overseas. I do want to give some credit in advance to the Catholic Answers videos on this topic, but I think that um, most of our people aren't aware of those videos, and so it's important that uh, we speak to our own people here in Australia uh, and, and give them a, a balanced perspective, of a balanced understanding of, of this chapter in the book of Revelation, what the mark of the beast really is, whether any of the COVID vaccines qualify or, you know, uh, actually do need to be matters of concern for us from this point of view. Mm, excellent. So where is it exactly do we find a reference to this mark of the beast? Well, I've got it in front of me. So I'll just uh, do a bit of reading from uh, Revelation 13. Now, uh, to the surprise of most people, there's more than one beast in this chapter in the book of Revelation. There's actually two. And the first rises out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, ten diadems on its horns and a blasphemous name upon the heads. The second beast rises out of the earth with two horns like a lamb and sp speaks like a dragon. It exercises the authority of the first beast and makes the inhabitants of the earth worship the first beast. The mm. second beast has power to work great signs to deceive the world and causes those who do not worship the image of the first beast 
to be put to death. And the second beast causes all to be marked on the right hand or on the forehead with the name of the first beast or the number of its name. And the number of the first beast is 666. Now, perhaps um, I would like to invite you, Matthew, to read directly from the text in full uh, relating to these two beasts. Okay, not a problem. So for those listening along, we are in the book of Revelation, chapter 13. A reading from the Revelation to St. John. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads and ten diadems upon its horns and a blasphemous name upon its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed and the whole earth followed the beast with wonder. Men worshipped the dragon, for he has given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and tongue and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb that was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone slays with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast which rose out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It works great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in the sight of men. And by the signs which it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, bidding them to make an image of the beast for which was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast should even speak and to cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let him who has understanding reckon the number of the beast, for it is a human number. Its number is 600. And 66. So there it is, the mark of the beast and its relation to buying and selling. All right. So I think if I could just jump in there, Matthew. 
Yes, um, that's the main concern of so many people, why they're connecting the vaccines to the mark of the beast. Because basically governments are saying, and we had this even today in New South Wales, you'll get more freedoms once you get vaccinated. And that the first phase of um, opening up freedoms will only be for the vaccinated. So people are hearing this and thinking, well, I can't move. I can't buy, I can't go shopping, I can't do my normal activities unless I receive this vaccine. So there's some type of correspondence here between what we read in the book of Revelation about buying and selling and only being able to buy and sell if one gets the mark of the beast and what governments are saying about the vaccines. Mm. So... What exactly, who or what are these beasts exactly? I think the most important thing when it comes to trying to interpret the book of Revelation is not to follow the first rule of scriptural interpretation. The first rule of scriptural interpretation is always to go to the literal sense initially. And at times to go in addition to the literal sense to a, a more spiritual figurative, symbolic understanding of the scripture. So that scripture can have multiple meanings at the same time. But to go to the book of Revelation and to try and interpret it literally is fraught with great danger. Many have tried, and I believe all have failed. <laughs> so you can't look at the imagery that we've already heard that you've just read in detail and, and try and and conclude, well, we're talking about real-life monsters with multiple heads, multiple crowns, various powers, etc., etc., rising out of the sea, rising out of the land. These are images that represent powers. And I think what I tend to accept at the moment, not dogmatically, but the view I prefer at the moment, is that the first beast is actually imperial Rome the Roman Empire, and the Roman emperors in the first century AD that persecuted Christianity. Mm. The second beast is associated with the first beast. The second beast is the emperor cult that arose from the time of Augustus Caesar onwards that um, uh, pushed the idea or promoted the idea that the emperor himself was divine a divine genius, in fact, the son of Jupiter. Now, Jupiter was the main god in the Roman pantheon, equivalent to the Greek Zeus. And here is an uh, interesting comparison. Uh, Christianity arose in the world, or Jesus was born during the reign of Augustus Caesar, the first of the Roman emperors. And the Roman emperors claimed to be gods in human form. So they are the false gods in human form. When this emerged in the world, what also or who also came into the world was Jesus Christ, the true God man. And so what is being set up here in the divine plan and divine providence is this great struggle that will now begin and will last for centuries. Those who uh, follow the emperor cult and worship the emperor as a divine person 
and those who will follow Jesus Christ and worship him as a divine person. So the second beast is the emperor cult that was set up as a legal religious system to compel people to proclaim the emperor as Lord or Caesar as Lord, as opposed to Jesus is Lord. And so the warning from John here in the apocalypse is not to submit to the emperor cult, not to submit to the Roman emperor as a divine being, not to give him divine worship. Give the emperor civil service, pay taxes, follow the ordinary laws that they put into place. Yes, like Jesus himself declared, give unto Caesar that which is Caesar, but give to God that which is God, what belongs to God, and that's divine worship. So I think that captures the essence of this passage or these series of verses in chapter 13. Okay. So you're saying that this, uh, this mark is, is a symbolic and spiritual mark then? Yes, it's well, we'll come up to that. I've got some uh, notes on that in a, in a little while. Mm. But um, I think if you don't mind, I'd like to actually first talk about the 666. And then we'll come to the mark because the 666 plays a big role here. Right? Yeah. We see it all the time. And of course, the 666 is often attributed to the Pope. The Pope's the Antichrist. Many people say the Pope's the Antichrist. And they base it on the fact that, well, one of his titles, uh, Vicarious Filii Dei, Vicar of the Son of God. When you take those letters in Latin and their numerical value in Latin, they total 666. So that, ah, that's it. The Catholic Church is evil the pope is the beast some say antichrist but actually they're two different figures and the catholic church is the whore of babylon well the first and easiest way to rebut this is to put forward the historical fact that the pope doesn't have such a title the pope doesn't have as one of his official titles vicar vicar of the son of god he's the vicar of christ now they're different words and in different letters, and in Latin would have a different numerical value. So that's the first and easiest way to debunk this view. But the 666, now the most important thing here to note, and another reason why 666 can't relate to the Pope of this age, let alone any other age, is that John is speaking to a first century audience, and John is warning a first century audience and giving them the means to recognize who the beast is or the name of the first beast. So the, the first beast must be in the first century. That's why we say it's the Roman Empire and the persecuting emperors. And the name of the beast symbolized or captured in this number 666 must be the name of someone in the first century. And when we look at the persecuting emperors, the first of the persecuting Roman emperors was Nero Caesar. Hmm. And that's the clue. That's the direction we should be leading to because Nero Caesar in Latin, when you look at the Latin letterings and their numerical value, add up to 666. So hmm. Nero is the first of the persecuting emperors. The subsequent emperors follow in his path and they 
and by his spirit. And so it's the, uh, St. John is saying to the Christians, do not accept the mark of the beast whose name is 666. Do not submit to Nero Caesar or any other Caesar who desires to be worshipped uh, as a divine being. Yeah, because, of course, uh, John mentions that it's a, a human number and that with wisdom we'll be able to discern it. So if it was some sort of, um, you know, inscrutable mystery, he wouldn't have said those things, would he? So he's making it clear that we can actually determine who this is referring to. That's right. And the important point that I want to re-emphasize here is that he's making this appeal to the Christians of the first century. He's giving the clue to the Christians of the first century that they can determine who the beast is, what his name is through this clue 666. So it can't be the Pope of the mod of any current time. And if it was a Pope of the first century, well, that defeats the Protestant argument that the Vatican and the papacy didn't exist in the first century. You can't have it both ways. You can't argue that the Vatican and the papacy did not exist in the first century because it didn't come from Christ. It's some later human development. You can't claim that as an argument and then say that the Pope is the 666 beast um, you know, when John is speaking to a first century audience and getting them to, giving them the clue as to who the beast is in the first century. So coming back to this, uh, this mark now, is there, is there anywhere else in scripture where we see uh, people being marked in such a way? Mm. Um, I've found three. Uh, and one is in the Old Testament and two are in the New Testament. So, uh, and these are what I'd say are positive marks. They're not marks of a beast or some horrid figure, a diabolical figure. They're actually marks of faithful uh, people of God. So we go first to Ezekiel 9. And the prophet Ezekiel, who's now in exile in Babylon, he went in the exile of 597 BC. There were three phases of exile, 603, 597, then five. 86 BC. Um, they, Ezekiel's in Babylon and he sees a vision where God commands the angel to mark on the foreheads of the righteous, to place a mark on the righteous, their foreheads. And this was to protect the righteous in Jerusalem from the wrath that was to come. And the wrath that was pending or foreboding was the Babylonian onslaught that would come in 587 BC that would destroy Jerusalem, destroy the temple, destroy the Ark of the Covenant and cause the presence of God, the Shekinah Kabob, to depart from Jerusalem. So uh, this mark was not something physical. It was spiritual and it was only applied and seen by the angel. It's a mark of spiritual favoritism upon those in Jerusalem who were still faithful to Yahweh, the law of Moses, etc. The second one is in Revelation 7. And here we hear of the, we read of the seal of the living God. And the quote is, do not harm earth, sea, or trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God upon their foreheads. So another mark on foreheads, but again, these are, and in this occasion, uh, Christians faithful people of God 
in Jesus Christ. And the third one is in Revelation 14, which is interestingly placed because we've just looked at Revelation 13 in detail. And we, we, we read about a mark of the beast, which the unfaithful will you know, be marked with or recognized as having. In distinction, in contrast to that, Revelation 14 speaks about the lamb on Mount Zion, who, of course, is Christ, and 144,000 who have the name of Christ and God on their foreheads. So that's, I think there's a deliberate contrast there by John. We have the, the, the unfaithful, the fallen, the, those who have gone into apostasy with the mark of the beast that is giving allegiance to the Roman emperor as a divine son of Jupiter. And in contrast to them are those who are faithful, who are acknowledging Jesus as Lord, and the son of the only one true God, okay, and they have the, um, um, a glorious positive mark on their foreheads. Now, again, this number 144, don't take that literally as a, in, as a limited number, as the Jehovah Witnesses do, for example, uh, mm. who say that only 144,000 will end up in heaven in front of God face to face for eternity, while the rest of all faithful Jehovah Witnesses, would you be just enjoying paradise on earth forever? Again, this is 12 by 12. 144 is 12 by 12. And this is a figure that represents the faithful. 12 by 12, you have two 12s, the faithful of the Old Testament, the faithful of the New Testament era. Okay, all together as one people of God. Mm. Yeah, it's very interesting. And then, of course, as soon as that uh, number of 144,000 is mentioned, then John sees a multitude, doesn't he? Which mm. cannot be counted. 144,000 is a far more finite number that can be counted. Mm. But then he describes this multitude in heaven that cannot be counted. Mm. And, of course, we also um, symbolically represent this mark on our foreheads through our sacraments, don't we, Robert? Oh, definitely. Yes. Yeah. Um, and the sign of the cross is a, uh, we do it in this form as a mark, but originated like this. People would choose a simple cross like that on their foreheads. Uh, they signed themselves in that manner. And of course, um, you know, the water of baptism is, is poured on the, on the head and people are anointed with the chrism of confirmation on the forehead and et cetera. So, these are all marks of our um, giving of ourselves or being incorporated into Christ as distinct from any other deity or philosophy or power, etc. So what exactly do you think then that the mark of the beast in Revelation refers to? Well, I to build on what we've already said, mm. it's not something physical, material, or obvious that can be seen. It is not an actual number, um, you know, tattooed on our foreheads or on our right hand. It's not like the mark of Cain that was visible. All right. It's not a, in what concerns many people in the modern age, what I've heard in recent times, it's not a tattoo. It's not a brand. It's not a barcode. That's, it's not a microchip inserted into our bodies. It's not a credit card. I remember when credit cards were 
coming out. This is decades ago. You know, people worried about, oh, cashless society. You can't buy or sell unless you've got the credit card. And the credit card has certain numbers on it. Or obviously, a prefigurement of the, of the mark of the beast and the coming reign of Antichrist, etc. And it's certainly not a vaccine. Again, the mark of the beast is a spiritual mark that that God see that God recognizes each person with who have fallen away from him, who have apostatized, who've given their allegiance to the Roman emperor as God, as divine, and the whole pantheon of the Greco-Roman gods. So it's it's a mark of apostasy where the person has intentionally, deliberately, or well, for whatever reason, gone over to a false god. Now, this is the case in the first century. But I do want to say, I believe Revelation also has uh, applicability throughout all time. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I, I emphasized earlier that John is speaking to a first century audience and giving them the clue about the 666 and get challenging them directly to identify for themselves who the beast is, right? But I also think at the same time, all this, all the the book of Revelation also has a perennial message for all Christians, all believers throughout all time until the end of the world. And Mm -hmm. so that we are called to resist the beasts of every age. Hmm. So there was the beast of the first century and Rome continued to persecute Christians for another two and a half, another two and a half centuries, right through to the first decades of the fourth century AD. We have beasts in Islamic persecution. We have beasts in uh, the persecution of Christians, for example, in Elizabethan England or Henry VIII before her. We have beasts throughout modern times in the French Revolution. We have beasts in the Mexican Civil War. We have beasts in the Spanish Civil War. We have beasts in Nazi Germany, Soviet Russia, Maoist China. We have beasts today in a cultural sense. The, in, in the West, uh, the, the sexual revolution and everything that that stands for. If we submit to the spirit of the sexual revolution, we've also submitted to a modern type of beast. So if I, you know, if I give myself to another type of so-called morality, which is a amorality, a non-morality, I've submitted to the spirit of the times, contrary to the spirit of Christ. And I say this at a, as a, uh, at a certain risk, but for example, if I adopted the the rainbow flag of the LGBTIQ movement, which is not the rainbow that we see during a rainstorm, which has seven colors, but this rainbow flag has only six, and it stands for something. Mm -hmm. Uh, It stands for the acceptance of a certain type of behavior and compelling people uh, through psychological pressure or uh, political correctness or woke culture, whatever it might be, to to say that this type of behaviour is moral and acceptable when it's not moral and acceptable from the uh, traditional scriptural apostolic tradition Catholic perspective. So, and this course I could apply to any time in the future as well, 
where is our heart? Where is our mind? Where are our actions? Where is our allegiance? Um, are we giving ourselves to another power, another deity? If so, then we've submitted to the beast of that time. So what about this, uh, this sort of line that says, you know, it says that all, you know, rich, slave, free, poor, everyone receives this mark and can't buy and sell without it. So what would you say to, to the, the line about not being able to buy or sell without this mark? Well, firstly, I'd say that the all doesn't literally mean every single person. It means as a general condition, most of the world at that time didn't have much of a problem with the emperor cult. The emperor was just another god among a whole pantheon of Greco-Roman gods. All right, so who stood out with the Jews? And the Jews weren't a threat to the Roman Empire because they didn't proselytize. They didn't actively seek converts and actively grow. They did receive converts, which were very rare, relatively speaking, but they didn't actively go out and seek. So they weren't a growing threat to the empire. Um, Christianity was different because it proselytized. It sought to... Uh, baptize all nations it was an existential threat to the empire but most people in the empire were polytheistic whether they lived in egypt whether they lived in phoenicia or syria or or in mesopotamia or you know north africa or any parts of europe west central or east they believe in a whole multiple array of gods so the all refers to the general spiritual religious condition of peoples of that time and those who accepted this roman system of of divinities and gods and worship and the emperor cult they were left they were left unharassed so they could go through their normal daily activities that's what it means they could buy and sell meaning that they could live out their lives normally free from harassment persecution uh, arrest imprisonment, torture, death. But those who are to be faithful as Christians uh, remain faithful to the one true God and Jesus Christ, etc. They would not accept the mark. They did not submit to the emperor cult or any other religious cult. And they would be, the buying or selling means that they would be persecuted unto death. They wouldn't be allowed to live. And in the Roman Empire, it was a capital offence, um, punishable by death, simply for being Christian, for resisting the emperor cult and all the other divinities. And that's why they were called atheists. Atheos uh, means without God, no gods. The Christians were the people of no gods. They rejected the gods and for this so-called invisible God. Um, and... The idea of the forehead and the hand is symbolic, in my opinion, of accepting the emperor cult in mind, mm. in the will, and accepting it in the hand, meaning accepting it in action, uh, you know, doing acts of worship, doing pinching the, 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 the incense and saying Caesar is law, etc. Mm. So that's what I believe. It symbolizes receiving the mark on the forehead or on the hand uh, is either submitting in mind or action to the emperor cult or any other 
false divinity in any other age or false movement or philosophy, etc. And of course, if we truly believed that uh, this mark was a uh, was a literal mark and that a COVID vaccine was in fact the mark, I guess the only way, the, the, the other way to avoid it is to just make sure that they don't inject it into either your forehead or your hand, right? Well, this is it. So just study. I, I, I said already, let's not look at the book Revelation literally. Mm. But if we work, because a lot of people are, they're yes. saying, hey, receiving it on the forehead, receiving it on the hand, okay? Mm. And so, you know, oh, when we're injected, oh, we're, we're injected in the arm, that's close mm. to the hand, etc. Well, actually, at, at this lower level of, of discussion, well, one would say that you could dismiss the COVID vaccines as the mark of the beast simply because they're not injected into the right hand or into the forehead. Yeah. Right? There's no mark, there's no number 666 involved here with any of the vaccines. Mm. But on a more serious level, does accepting mm. the vaccines uh, qualify us to receive the mark of the beast in a spiritual sense? That's the more important question we should answer. And I would say, well, what is the test here to determine that? Do we, when receive the, any of the vaccines, actually uh, making an act of worship? Are we giving our allegiance to another deity or power or force or philosophy that's in antipathy to the God of Jesus Christ, to Jesus Christ, the Catholic Church, the Catholic faith, Catholic faith and morals per se. Um, now, when, look, I know I haven't received any vaccine yet. And will I? That's another question. That's a personal question. But when people I know and love and dear to me, uh, friends, relatives, work colleagues, many of them have, um, have they, in the process of receiving a vaccine, did they in, in any way, shape or form renounce God, renounce Jesus Christ, renounce the Catholic faith, Catholic faith and morals, um, give their allegiance to an, another God, uh, etc.? No, they were not. That was not their, that's not what they were asked to do. That was not their intention that in their minds, they simply received the vaccine to deal with a serious pandemic and to prevent themselves from catching it or catching it in a severe manner and spreading it to others. That's their intention. There is nothing inherently wrong with that from the moral perspective. Um, I've received vaccines in the past for other reasons. When I traveled overseas uh, multiple times in the early 70s and the only just four years ago, I got four injections to to protect me. I was vaccinated to protect me from all sorts of you know potential illnesses going to the Central America. One I remember was for um, yellow fever. One was uh, other medication I received was for malaria. Now that's all I was doing. That's all people are doing today. But imagine if the government said. You can't receive the vaccine unless you bend your knee to Baal or worship Mao Zedong as a divine, you know, founder of the Communist Party of China. Or, you know, there's a, if, if there's some form of political 
social, cultural, religious demand placed on you that would require you to renounce God and Jesus Christ, etc., uh, in the getting of the vaccine, then you could look at the mark of the vaccine in, in, in a sense of a, as the mark of the beast. But I don't see that happening now. I don't see that happening yet. And I don't hear anyone speaking in terms like that at the moment. And it's very important to point out, too, that right throughout the book of Revelation, this is the constant theme. Who are we going to choose? Are we going to choose Christ? and his church, or are we going to choose the world and the devil? And I just love that you mentioned before, too, that, uh, you know, this, this mark is, is those who have apostatized. We talked mm. about baptism. Baptism, of course, gives us this indelible mark, mm. and it is then us, by rejecting our baptismal vows, by rejecting Christ and his church, that we then choose ourselves to have the mark of the world and the, and the devil and Satan. And right throughout Revelation, Jesus, uh, in, the, in the letters to the churches, right throughout the, all of the visions, it's constantly pointed out that the saints are those who not only believed, but did. It's mm. faith and works, those who believed and those who did the works, those who persevered to the end. Excellent. So we, we should be very clear here that the mark of the beast is a spiritual mark. There is, though, other questions people are asking us. Yes. Um, and I want to get to receiving those. the vaccine, does it, is it somehow locking us into other forces that we hear? The Great Reset is a term that's been spoken of often in the last 18 months. The yeah. New World Order we've heard for decades yeah. uh, and even centuries. It is on the US dollar, by the way, Novus Ordo Seclorum, the term is there. One world government. Um, mm. Again, I think I'd apply the same principles here. Firstly, I'd say, preface my remarks by saying, these are real concerns. They are genuine concerns. There are movements in, in antipathy to uh, against the Catholic Church and Christianity, per se, who want to bring about a one world government a new world order, a great reset, whereby society is further de-Christianized, where the influence of the church and Christian teachings are more and more marginalized and excluded totally. And there are forces, overt and covert, public and secret, who are moving society more and more in that direction by the day. I mean, you just, one interview I saw last week with Jane Fonda, that American actress, mm -hmm. She said, well, you know, COVID-19 is God's gift to the left. <laughs> wow. You know, meaning let's take it. Well, I, I was surprised to hear that because I didn't believe that the left believed in God anyway. Mm. But, you know, the left are claiming this is an opportunity to remake society. Mm. And as Catholics, we should be always working to remake society. But, of course, in the image of Christ, mm. remake ourselves in the image of Christ. While those pushing this great reset, are looking to remake society in the image of, of some type of leftist philosophy, you know, Marxism, Leninism, Maoism, or whateverism, you know, even worse. Um, but by itself, taking the vaccine doesn't lock you into that those agendas either. Hmm. Those agendas might be pushing it for whatever nefarious reason. 
but for ordinary people who are thinking at a level of just this is a disease, this is a virus, this is dangerous, I need to protect myself and others, that's all they're doing. They're not making any other commitment to this, you know, grand, uh, you know, one world conspiracy, etc. So, again, there's no moral issue there. There is still the moral issue of vaccines that have been developed, that have been extracted from aborted fetuses, originally the material, um, like an aborted girl from the early 70s, genetic material taken from her liver. That's a, a, a particular stem line that's been replicated and that was uh, used in the production of, of, of the AstraZeneca vaccine. And people have a moral issue about that. And I understand that and I agree with that moral issue. Mm-hmm. And the Vatican has said, well, uh, that original abortion was evil, and there's no two way about that. No two ways about that. But do we res- do we somehow materially cooperate in that evil if we receive a vaccine that's you know been derived from material from an aborted fetus? The Vatican has said you are not materially responsible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not materially cooperating in that sin. But the Vatican has also said if there are alternatives, we should take the alternatives. So yes. there are alternatives. So I mm-hmm. say let's not, not, let's not take AstraZeneca if there are alternatives. Then we have people worried about the new technology vaccines mm-hmm. like Pfizer and Moderna uh, because they have this mRNA technology. And I'm not an expert here, but some people, are, there's a lot of concern about that. Yeah. And I'm rather bewildered as well when I read all the material left, right and centre about these vaccines. I've spoken to people who say, who are experts, specialists who say that there's no fear, no risk at all in taking those vaccines and, and other medical experts who say there are, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm looking for something else. Uh, and there are others alternative to them, protein-based vaccines like Novavax, like COVAX-19, which is an Australian one being developed at the moment. So for some people might think, well, you know, if I'm going to take a vaccine, I'll wait for them, mm. all right? And there are other people who say, well, I don't want to take a vaccine at all, and that's a personal choice that I'm not going to criticise. But I would say that those persons would, again, still have a social and moral responsibility to protect themselves and protect others, so engage in regular um, testing, um, and then engage in uh, build up your immunity. And if any, if you suspect you have caught something, to be tested quickly and and then seek treatment as soon as possible, uh, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So there's still a responsibility on everyone to some extent to grapple with this crisis and mm. to look after yourselves and your neighbour. Mm. Yeah, and with, uh, with all this question of vaccines and with lockdowns and masks everywhere, uh, there's also um, a lot of fear around. Should Catholics be living in fear, Robert? Look, fear is natural. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's one of the... I'll get a bit technical here from my days when I studied under the great philosopher Alice Nelson. Fear is a neutral appetite, neutral passion of the irascible appetite what does that mean it's natural to human beings mm. there are some things we should fear we should fear death 
we mm. should fear sin, committing sin. We should fear offending God. We should fear offending neighbor. I fear offending my wife. Okay. <laughs> now that's that's natural and good, right? But fear is a problem when it becomes irrational. Mm. All right. Now, living under fear, well, we are meant to be people of hope. Mm. And we are we are intelligent beings and we are meant to be people of reason. So we should be using our reason in the in, to grapple with this pandemic at a you know national, international, local, and personal level, and we should have a certain reasonable fear to avoid catching it. I mean, I don't go out of my way to catch the ordinary flu or any yeah. other disease. I don't want to catch any disease. The same should apply here for COVID. I don't want to infect anyone with any particular disease. Same for COVID. And I do get worried about the randomness of the of the deaths with COVID. Uh, mm. so many people catch it. About 99% don't get a, don't suffer any, you know, uh, serious injury or death. Mm. But you get that 1% and it's rather random. It's not just old people. It's, it's mm. indiscriminate. You know, young people, middle-aged people that I've read in different cases around the world. Um, and look, if I don't have objections to restrictions per se, uh, I don't have restrict uh, uh, objections to lockdowns, social distancing, masking per se. One can debate the finer points about the reasonableness, you know, how these can be overwhelming and sweeping and and lack, uh, you know, any nuance etc uh, and that's a political debate um but you know the we do need to engage in these practices and i because I, I, I don't believe we should be allowing this uh virus to just spread unrestricted because if say if it is unrestricted and it's spread and we've got 15 million australians who catch it well one percent is still going to be 150,000 people who die from and I wouldn't want to volunteer myself or any members of my family or loved ones uh, you know uh, extended or otherwise to be one of those victims so we do need to have we do have a moral, moral responsibility as Catholics to grapple with this virus reasonably and effectively at the same time though uh, particularly as the book of Revelation is a book of hope uh, if finding out about the virus, watching YouTube videos on vaccines, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, is robbing us of our peace and robbing us of our spiritual life, then maybe that's something that we should uh, we should jettison from our our lives, isn't that right, Robert? Well, there's a, there's a lot of things on YouTube and social mm. media. Um, and I've got a lot of friends and relatives who are very active in that space. I share their distrust of the mainstream media. Mm, I agree. And without reservation. Mm. I don't swallow without discernment or without question everything on social media. Because mm. there we need great discernment there as well. Um, there are a lot of things said on social media by good-spirited, well-intentioned people that just are not based in fact or reality. And sometimes I fear some people are so engrossed in what they're seeing and watching and reading on social media, they end up in some 
parallel universe of unreality mm. as this, in opposition to a parallel universe of falsity mm-hmm. and and fake news to to you know replicate a, a term of recent times mm. uh, and i don't know how i can give advice there except for everyone to use their own nous and common sense to discern what they're hearing what they're mm. listening to what they're watching what they're reading i'm always telling people don't let social media take time away from your prayer life if you're mm. going to spend one hour looking at social media you'd better spend one hour in prayer one hour learning your faith one hour reading um spiritual books um that sort of thing instead of getting falling into these black holes these youtube black holes of just watching video after video after video well we'll always recommend watching perusia um you know youtube videos and maybe some of mine if you don't mind of course yes the the robert haddad youtube channel which has got hundreds of hours of uh, edifying material which should definitely be watched uh, over and above just scrolling mindlessly through social media and being at the behest of the artificial intelligences that run them well robert thank you so very much for giving us some of your time tonight thank you very much for considering this uh, this topic and uh, considering the fears of uh, many people out there um, really appreciate it i want to thank you very much i really pre- appreciate the opportunity and I appreciate and want to thank all those who've joined us tonight. And I just want to wish uh, you, Matthew, and, and the work of Prusia all, all God's blessings to, and continue the great work you're doing on behalf of the Catholic Church and the Catholic faith. Thank you and God bless. Will do. Thank you very much. You have been listening to Perusia World Spotlight on the Perusia Podcast Network in partnership with EWTN Asia Pacific. To catch up on all Perusia podcast episodes, please visit perusiamedia.com forward slash podcast or subscribe to our podcasts in your favorite podcast app. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share with your family and friends. And for more information about everything Perusia, please visit our website at perusiamedia.com. God bless.